So the reading is Job chapters 9 and 10, which is on page 422 in the Church Bibles. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvellous things beyond number. Behold, He passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the face of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labour in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself." I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favour the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man or your years as a man's years that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin although you know that I am not guilty and there is none to deliver out of your hand? Your hands fashioned and made me and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. 
I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace and look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your vexation towards me. You bring fresh troops against me. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me, and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are, my, are not my days few? Then cease, and leave me alone, that I may find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness." You walk into a room, and uh, there's someone already in that room, and they sound a bit like that. They're hysterical. They're distraught. You can see that they're pained and just anxious, agonizing questions coming from their mouth. And you've just walked into the room. You don't know what's going on. What are you going to think? Of that person, what are you going to think? You going to phone the doctor? <laughs> Thanks, Mick. Okay, why would you think that? Why would you think that? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see what you mean. Not phone the doctor for them, but phone the doctor because I don't want to be the one to help them out. Yeah, I don't know what to say to them. Yeah. Breakdown, right. So they're starting to lose it um, to the point where you might think, they're a bit unhinged, aren't they? Uh, you know, um, whatever they've gone through, yeah. But now they're starting to lose it a bit. Um, yeah, they do come across raving madman, right? That's, what, that's my brief for, for Bethan um, <laughs> in, in the reading. It, it does come across a bit like that, doesn't it? Um, the ravings of a, of a madman. And it's hard, isn't it, to have much empathy for someone when you don't really know what's gone on. If you don't know and you've just walked in the room and you really don't know what's caused this, um, you won't have any empathy, will you? Well, Job is that man in the room. And his friends are the ones entering the room. Sorry, let's have them back entering the room. His friends are the ones entering the room, except they do know why Job is distraught. He's lost everything, they know that. So their lack of empathy comes not from uh, not knowing what the situation was, it must come from something else. And their lack of empathy towards Job is also why they are unwilling to listen to him. And this is what we were kind of looking at last week with Eliphaz. Um, their conclusions they had all tied up about Job before they even arrived. What were their conclusions? It was the neat and tidy theology. Uh, let's go through it. God is absolutely in control. God is absolutely just and fair. God always punishes sin and rewards righteousness in this life, here and now. This is what they believe, by the way. So that therefore means that suffering is always a punishment for sin. And therefore Job suffers, therefore Job has sinned. That was their neat and tidy theology. 
And um, that, the conclusion was wrong. We saw that, didn't we? Job hasn't sinned, so the conclusion's wrong. So something else must have been wrong in what they were believing about who God is and what he is like. Um, but they had their conclusion about Job all tied up, even prior to their arrival. Um, Job has sinned, so they've got no empathy for him. And yet, because Job fears God, even in his most hysterical moments, when he sounds like a raving madman, he speaks more sense than all of them put together. He speaks more sense, more truth in this chapter. He's much closer to the mark. He's not absolutely right, but he's more closer to the mark than any of them put together. And we're going to have a look at what Job says. Uh, we're going to have, to have a think about it together. We're just going to look at it in different kind of sections. And I hope it sort of helps us to unpack it and sort of think it through um, together. We're obviously not going to have a com- uh, t- time to comment on every verse. Um, and this is the second round of speeches. Uh, the friend, as uh, George says, to step up his belt, Bildad. We didn't actually read Bildad's speech. And that's because we're not going to give it as much airtime this week as we did to Eliphaz. Last week, you remember, we looked at Eliphaz's speech and Job's response to the friends, mainly in the first half of his speech. So why are we not giving it so much airtime? Well, it's not because Bildad's speech is much shorter, though it is. Um, it's, it's because he pushes the, exactly the same argument. Essentially, it's the same theology, the neat and tidy theology, coming straight back at Job. <laughs> Whatever Job's just said, doesn't matter. Here's our theology again. Packaged slightly differently. Um, if you, let's just have a quick look down at it. Um, it has a different point of reference to back it up. So if you look at um, verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. Um, Inquire, please, this is Bildad saying of Job, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you? And utter words out of their understanding. So the point of reference has changed. He's saying, you look at tradition. Look what the fathers, our fathers, the traditions say. They'll teach you, Job. So his point of reference is different, but the conclusion is the same. (laughs) The theology is the same. Um, He also references in 11 to 19, oddly, this kind of natural world he uses as a backup for, for this way of thinking. It's this whole thing about plants and natural life and that kind of thing. Um, so, the, so the references are different, but the conclusion is the same. And there is also a slight variation on the, on the accusation that he makes, Bildad. Um, if you want to look down with me at 8 verse 4. So the accusation of uh, Eliphaz was sort of, you know, Job, you... God is disciplining you. Um, well, eight verse four. <laughs> Your children sinned, and so they're getting they got it in the neck, right? So the accusation has slightly changed, but the, but the theology is the same. The view is all suffering means God's judgment. Job suffers, therefore Job has sinned, um, or Job's children suffered so that they've sinned. It's not it's not nothing new, okay? Um, So we're just going to look at the uh, apparent ravings of a madman and we're going to see the sense that he speaks um, over and above what what that view of God would say um, and that neat and tidy thing that sounds much more sensible, doesn't it? But it's completely off the mark. Um, Let's have a look at it together. 
Um, so that accusation, your children must have sinned, it also takes us back to chapter 1, doesn't it? Because what did Job do in chapter 1 with his children, or in reference to his children? Prayed for them. What else did he do? Offered a sacrifice for them, right? Um, in the event that they had sinned. <laughs> so not only is Job trusting in the sacrifice for himself to make him right with God, he trusts in the sacrifice for his children. The friends wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't the friends do that? Well, because with their worldview, the way of seeing God, you can't be right with God. So what's the point in trying to do a, in a sacrifice? Because it's not going to achieve anything. <laughs> so they, in fact, the only thing that the hope they can have is that you can get something better in this life if you do better in God's view. That's the only hope. Um, so... Job fears God. He trusts in the sacrifice to make him right with God. He's a believer. He's a Christian. Christians are those who have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins. The only thing that can make them right with God. The only basis for a relationship with him. Because we are rotten sinners deserving of judgment. God would be right to judge us. And yet Job trusts the sacrifice. The only thing that can make him right with the God. So he's not sinless, but he is blameless. God will not blame him, bring blame against him, because the sacrifice took his sin away, and the punishment for sin. So we're going to listen to Job, we're going to hear what he says, and we're going to see that he speaks far more sense. Even in his most agonised questions and imaginings, he speaks far more sense than, than anyone um, of the friends. Uh, let's have a look at it together. Uh, in verses 2 uh, to 20, Job imagines taking God to a trial. In 2, verse, 2 to 20, Job imagines taking God to a trial. If God has done an injustice against Job, and that's certainly what it feels like to Job, then Job imagines, okay, well, I need to represent myself. Or I need to get God in court. I need to... <laughs> plead my case before him I need to be with him in order to perhaps justify that you know and and to hear from him what his his reasons are for this um but he kind of knows he knows it's of no use and we're going to see that in just a moment um why well if you look down with me uh, I'll show you the verses that show he wants to get God in the in the courtroom um, in verse uh, 3 and 4, he says, If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Um, in verse um, 16, If I summoned him and he answered me. So the summoning is, is into the courtroom. And Job says, I can't do that. Why? It's because of who God is. Job knows that God is too strong. That's the first thing. And he knows that God is too clever. God is too wise. He's too strong, so he couldn't even strong arm God into a courtroom. And he's too wise, so even if he got him into the courtroom, he couldn't hold his own <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the proceedings. 
his wisdom would be shown to be lacking and God's would be infinite. So Job is sort of imagining this and yet he knows it's of no use. Um, let's have a look down at that. Um, so he is too strong uh, in 5 to 12. Um, he talks about God's uh, power in the natural world and yet it's a power that Job can only really see at this time at doing, uh, undoing creation. Let's have a look at it together. Um, but it shows that he's too powerful. He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out, marvellous things beyond number. Who will say to him, sorry, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. So God is too strong. He removes mountains. He can tell the sun not to rise. Uh, he can seal up the stars. Um, this is his might his power and then god is is too clever as well um, so if you look down at verse 14 how then can i answer him choosing my words with him though i am the right i cannot answer him i must appeal for mercy to my accuser i'm if i summoned him and he answered me i would not believe that he was listening to my voice for he crushes with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause he will not let me get my breath he fills me with bitterness if it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless, I regard not myself, I loathe my life. So, even if Job did manage to get God in the court, somehow, Job could not really match him. It's a bit like, um, you know, you get caught... Or, or a policeman stops you on the street and you're sort of you, initially you're a bit cocky you're like yeah you know um, I know my rights you sort of say um, uh, yeah and then you start a conversation with the guy and, it, and, and basically it turns out that you know nothing about the law and he knows everything about the law so the first time you quote section 5.3 you're like yeah I don't even know what that is um, so God's infinite wisdom is, is something that means Job, we sang about it, didn't we? His infinite strength and his infinite wisdom. But it's something which, at this point in time, Job is, is like, well, it doesn't help, help me really because I can't argue against God. <laughs> I can't make my case before him uh, because I'm just going to lose. So it's interesting, isn't it? He's a, he's a believer. And yet he, he still feels like this isn't the, the, the way to go. <laughs> he, can't, he can't sort of summon God to a courtroom and, and put him on trial um, because he knows um, that's not going to work. Um, it leads Job to a bit of a terrible conclusion, really. If you look down with me at uh, verse 22 to 24, Job says these words here, and he also says something a bit later which sounds quite similar. He says, it is all one, therefore I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. 
The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. He covers the face of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? Uh, the terrible conclusion that Job's come to from the way he sees things is that God is unjust and that it, it makes no difference to God. It's all the same to God um, to do injustice, perhaps, as to do good and to do right. You see that, don't you? He destroys both the blameless and the wicked. So it sort of all seems the same to Job. Job can't see any difference between the acts of God that directly reveal his character. And I need you to get this, that, that directly reveal his character, his love and his faithfulness and his goodness, and also the acts of God which he permits Satan to do, ultimately to bring about the end of all evil. So there's some things that God permits, that God does that we can say, oh, that directly, I can see how that directly reveals his character. And yet there's other things that God does where you think, I just can't see. If that reveals his character, what, what on earth is his character like? And, and yet he permits that to happen, permits Satan to do those things so that evil would eventually be undone. And that's what's going on here, isn't it? We read about in the heavenly courtroom, um, is Satan saying, oh God, you know, it's Satan being cocky, saying, oh, I can beat you, God. And this is happening because God is proving Satan wrong. And Satan is, the, this is going to show that evil never wins. But from Job's perspective, from where he's standing, it all looks the same. So it's sort of like, is, it, is God equally? Is his acts, which he does where he um, allows evil, is that revealing his character? Is he unjust? It's all of those things going on. And it's a terrible question to have hanging in our minds, isn't it? Um, it is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless, which is me, and the wicked. If it is not he, then who is it? To think that God would mock at the calamity of the innocent. He's wrestling with that. Seems like there's an injustice here, and it's just... Yeah, what does it reveal about who God is? Well, Job uh, thinks of his, aunt, his options as well um, in the next bit. What are his options? Um, let's have a look at that uh, together in the next bit. So taking God to a trial won't work. Um, Job weighs up what options he has left in verses 25 to 35. And there's three things in here. So we'll read it first and then we'll look for the three things that Job picks out. Let's read. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labour in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. Verse 33, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. So three options. Can anyone pick them out? Shout out verse if you can see any of them. 
Thanks, Vic. Yeah, if I... What verse is that? Yeah. If I say I will forget my complaint, I'll put off my sad face and be of good cheer. Just almost like ignoring the fact that it ever happened. Let it go. Live. <laughs> you know. And, and uh, be happy. You know, you could call that, couldn't you? That's one option. Just be happy. Try to be. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So it leads him to think, okay, what are my options left? Okay. Um, what's the next one? Okay, where do you see that? Yes, if I wash myself, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, it does sound like that, doesn't it? Um, if I wash myself, not just physical cleaning, it's a spiritual thing. And um, it's sort of saying, well, be good. Maybe I should clean myself up. And that would somehow be an option for me. And yet with both of these, that's the clean up my life thing. Um, with both of these... Job realises these options don't work. And he realises the options don't work because if the fear of God, God's wrath, that has come from this apparent unjust suffering, the fear of God has returned to him, God's wrath, none of those options will work. So in verse um, 28, he says, he's just said, if I say I'll forget my complaint and be of good cheer... He says, I've become afraid of all my suffering. So he says, the fear is still there. This will not take away the fear of God that that has since come on me, has come back to me. (laughs) So he says, it's just not going to work. If God is unjust, I should should fear him. (laughs) And what would happen to me, what God is going to do to me. Um, So that's not going to work. Try and be happy, it's not going to work. Because you will become afraid of all your suffering. For I know that you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Second option, be good. Live, live, live a good life. Or try to. Um, maybe that will take away his fear. Well, it won't, will it? Because he says in um, verse 31, Yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. So he'll still have the fear of God. <laughs> on what God could do to him. So these aren't the the things that are going to take all that away. What's the third option? Where do you see that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the third option, isn't it, that Job sees? And we're going to come back to this, but um, the third option he, he thinks about is an arbiter. Arbiter is someone who can go a go-between. Um, and he says, it would be, if, someone, if there was someone who might lay his hand on us both, be able to lay his hand on God and lay his hand on us, then... Um, He says in verse 34, let him, that's the arbiter, take his rod, that's God's rod of anger or wrath, away from me. And let not dread of him, that's dread of God, terrify me. 
then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. So he's saying there's a... Even though he is right with God, in this moment of sort of uncertainty, and he's like, is God unjust? What would I need? Well, I don't need... It's not going to help to be happy or to be good. What I would need is an arbiter. I need someone to come between me and God who can take away the rod of God's wrath if that is what is it coming against me. This is how Job sees it. God's wrath is not coming against him because sin has been paid for. But if, if God's wrath is still coming against me, um, what I would need is one who could come between us, who could take that rod away. And then you wouldn't fear God. Not fear as in the fear of punishment and the fear of what could happen, what he might do to you. And what perhaps he should do to you and you, you would deserve. So in his most hysterical, you know, distraught moments, this believer is speaking wonderful truths, profound truths about what we need. He is seeing sense. He's weighing up the options. What do I need? (laughs) Be happy. No, that's not going to work. Be good. No, that's not going to work. An arbiter. If there was, he says there is no arbiter between us. But I think later on he comes to the conclusion that there is. Um, And it's amazing to see that there is such sense coming from the place of most anguish. And yet it's because he knows God. He truly does know God. He's come to know God. He's a believer. He's repented of his sin. He knows that God is holy, mighty, wise. And he knows that um, he needs this arbiter between, between them. Um, let's have a look uh, finally at uh, the last bit um, in verses uh, 1 to 22 of chapter 10. Well, jo- what Job decides to do is to take his complaint to God. He says that, doesn't he, in um, uh, verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 10. After saying, I loathe my life, I will give free utterance to my complaint, I will speak in the bitterness of my soul, I will say to God, do not condemn me, let me know why you contend against me. So he's saying, I, he's bringing his complaint directly to God there. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring my complaint directly to God. God, why do you contend against me? Why? Um, This is quite a a sort of a busy section. Um, So let me just walk you through it. Um, He asks uh, in verse 3, that question of, does it seem good to you to oppress? It's a bit like that conclusion at the end of the the first section. Um, Is it all the same to you, God? In, uh, injustice and, and good. Does it seem good to you, God, to oppress, to despise the works of your hands and favour the designs of the wicked? So um, he's asking that question directly to God. Um, are you just like my enemies? I think this is what's going on in verse 4 to 7. Have your eyes of flesh, do you see as man sees? And then he says that you, in verse 6, that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin that's pretty much what the friends have been doing um, although you know that I am not guilty 
So I think he's saying, are you, just, are you just like my enemies? And then I think he's saying, is this what you made me for? In verses 8 to 17. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Um, did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knitted me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. I know that this was your purpose. So um, Job is saying, was this your purpose all along, God, to destroy me? You made me to destroy me. He's asking that of God. He's bringing his complaint to God. And um, we're going to see that as a remarkable thing to do. And it actually doesn't, it shows not his lack of faith, the absence of faith, but the fact that he does have saving faith. That the the knee-jerk reaction, the response is, I need to come to God. If I have an injustice, I need to go to the one, even if it feels like he's the one causing the injustice, directly. I still, I still need to come to him. Um, last little bit, um, if you look down with me at verse 18 to 22. Um, he says in verse 18 and 19, well, if, if this is true, God, I'd prefer you not to have even made me. Would that I have died before any eye had seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Um, so he returns to that. He says, I'd prefer this not to have happened um, for me to never have lived and then he says uh, stop this God he says that in verse um, 20 he says then cease he says stop this God and leave me alone so he, tells, he says to God stop this leave me alone and he says that because he says um, I my, may find a little cheer before I go and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow the land of gloom like thick darkness I mean even though that place Job knows is, is, is dark and chaotic and is, perhaps it is less chaotic than the world that Job lives in or that he, he feels right now it's not remarkable isn't it that, that the life of the believer is not one where you say everything is just perfect <laughs> isn't everything running smoothly in God's world no <laughs> here is a believer who's saying well no it's not and it, it feels out of control and I'm bringing my complaint to God because there is an injustice here and I'm coming directly to him um, let me a little think about what this means for us um, because at the end of the day that's why we look at the Bible it's not it's God is speaking to us, isn't he, about what he is like. And what it means for us. Um, so let's, uh, let's have a look at that together. Um, if you're someone who attends church, uh, it might be that at the base level of what you believe, there's this thing of God rewarding good, Punishing evil. That's kind of job, God's job. Um, that's what you expect him to do on every occasion. So that's sort of your expectation. Or that's just think, you, if, God, if I do good, God is going to reward me. That's one of the ways it expresses itself. Or people 
get what they deserve. God punishes people in this life. Um, that's his punishment for sin. Um, that is wrong. It's to get God entirely wrong if you think he's like that. And the Bible proves it. And Job's life proves it. You, you're accept, the exception to the rule is there. And the exception to the rule is Jesus. Because if Jesus is innocent, absolutely innocent, and yet suffers, how does that fit with your view of who God is and what, what he's doing in the world? It just doesn't. Um, so either you ignore those examples or you rethink based on what God has revealed himself to be like. Um, and he can allow innocent suffering, and he does allow it in order f- for his reasons and purposes to bring out his plans to save us from sin. And that's what he does. Um, it's a bit like that, him allowing Satan to do certain things only f- for the express purpose of bringing Satan to an end. Um, that's exactly what he did on the cross. Um, he allowed Jesus to suffer, though he was innocent, in order to bring Satan to his final end, to put evil to, to death um, and to crush him. Um, so I'd encourage you, um, the, the, the friends, they came with all their conclusions, all tied up. And, yet they, and they thought that they were the sensible ones, the sane ones, and that this guy was the raving lunatic. And yet if they had listened to the raving lunatic, they would have heard more sense about who God is than all of them put together. Uh, but because they were proud, because they thought they knew it, they didn't hear it. And they would have heard about the arbiter, the, the, the go-between that they need, the way that they can be right with God. But they just didn't hear it. They didn't even listen. And so I would encourage you, if, if that's you, just ask yourself the humble question, will I listen to God? Will, will I listen to what he says he is like, rather than coming with my preconceived ideas? my packaged conclusions about him and the world around me? Will I humble myself to what he says he is like? Will I look into who Jesus is as he, God reveals himself in the scriptures? Um, if you're uh, not a believer, uh, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you don't go to church, uh, you wouldn't have any religion, um, there is this question of how we can be right with God and um, the three, I did just encourage you to think of those three things that Job says. Job is speaking from experience here. He says, being happy in life, um, having the Instagram approach to life, is not the answer. It might look good on the outside, but it's, it doesn't, it's not real. It doesn't deal with these questions of suffering in our world doesn't give you an answer for that. It just ignores them altogether. Um, the cleaning up your life doesn't work. So you might think, I've got, I've got to be good enough for God. I've got to make myself good enough and then come to him. That ain't going to work. Job says it just ain't going to work. You're still going to fit, you should fear him rightly because you're still going to face his judgment. You just can't be good enough. Um, what's the third option, which sadly I didn't put a picture on there. What's the third option? It's Jesus. Someone who would be able to put his hands on God, because he is from the Father, isn't he? 
and who would be able to put his hands on us. Um, who came, he came to earth, and he's the one who can um, take away the rod of God's wrath. And he took it on himself. Um, so I'd encourage you as well just to respond to this, to say, wow, it's amazing, isn't it, that God would be like that, that he would provide the one that we desperately need so that we may be right with him, so that we may not face his judgment. Um, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, um, then this is a passage to go back to again and again, isn't it, to say that the honest complaint about what seems like injustice, God doing injustice, that is brought to God is not a sign of a lack of faith. It's actually a sign that we have uh, that relationship with him. And so if, you're, if in your kind of, um, your immediate response is <laughs> to want to complain to God, then that is a sign of your faith. Um, I did have a quote here, it's disappeared. Uh, but I'll give it to you on the WhatsApp group afterwards. Um, yeah, it's basically saying that, but I'll put it on the WhatsApp afterwards. Um, so, so you don't need to question your salvation when you have these kind of questions. Uh, when, and it's amazing, isn't it, that even though Job gets to the point where he says, God, I want you to leave me alone now. Just give me a break. I can't take any more. Even though Job says that, God is still with him. God doesn't leave him or reject him or abandon him. Even if we're to say to God, leave me alone. I can't take it anymore. He will not reject us. And that is a wonderful assurance, isn't it? Because I think you know, some of us will just face those moments where we're, we're just through. We've just had enough. And if God can... We can know that God does not abandon us in that moment, even when we would say, leave me alone. He will never desert us. And that's a wonderful thing to praise him for. Um, his steadfastness, his loyalty to us, um, his unceasing love. Um, so why don't we pray now? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that you reveal yourself. Um, we would not, in a million years, have... Uh, figure out what you are like thank you that you reveal yourself through your word that you speak and even though we don't hear your voice directly in this chapter um, we thank you that you are there and uh, as we wrestle with these things as we ask these deep questions we pray that we would be humble to admit that we don't know the answers so that we may be willing to listen uh, to the one that does uh, please, would we listen to your son, Jesus? Uh, would we humble ourselves to him? And please, would you change us um, so that we might serve him and live for him? Thank you for your steadfastness, your loyalty, and um, that you will not abandon us. We praise you for these things. Amen.